0: must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him so after finally meeting him at the crossroads of life and gladly receiving the word of truth one is usually taught that it is necessary to be baptized and to join a local christian assembly to obey and follow among other things the instruction presented in acts 242 which is that we are to continue Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And so, one needs to seek an ideal at which and through which we can engage in worship of and witness and waiting for the Lord, and to be taught how to engage in spiritual warfare against sin, self, and Satan, and where we can learn how the Holy Spirit of God has been provided as our personal indwelling resident teacher to guide and direct us in all real. It is generally thought that the church at Thessalonica is a good model to follow. And so, we will revisit first Thessalonians chapter 1, where, in my humble opinion, the ideal church is clearly uh, denunciated or set out. I was recently told by a good friend that if we will make our local church an ideal church, we must all ensure that each one of us should be diligent in seeking to become ideal congregants or members. You can't have an ideal church unless members are ideal, so you need to work at that. That's perhaps the most important thing. The establishment or founding of the church at Thessalonica is recorded in Acts chapter 17, verse 1 to 9, and occurred on Paul's second missionary journey, where when Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, immediately following their release from imprisonment in Philippi, and as was his custom, Paul immediately found the local synagogue and reasoned with the Jews there for three Sabbaths concerning, as a result, I always think that, when I go to a new church, this church, I, I can have a good idea or should have a good idea of whether they're ideal or not after three Sundays. I hope that if you have visited our church for three Sundays in a row, that you have found us to be ideal. He was able to persuade a great number of devout Greeks and leading women in that city concerning the things of Christ. But the unbelieving Jews became jealous and gathered together certain lewd fellows of the base sort and gathered a company, and created an uproar in the city. And as a result, Paul and Silas had to leave Casanoica by night to journey to Berea, where there were some also some very interesting. The boys and girls down at Berea, after church, they went and checked, as we should do today, to see if the things that were said were true or not. So don't take my word for it. Please check afterwards. Although it seems that the length of Paul's stay in Thessalonica was only for a period of three weeks, based on the record of Acts 17-2, and despite such ominous beginnings, a strong, mostly Gentile church was established in Thessalonica, according to the record in Acts 17-2-10. It included members like Jason and Aristarchus. I find Aristarchus a very interesting fellow. Every time you meet Aristarchus in the Word, he was with Paul. Not a very, uh, you know, you could probably smart thing, you know, to go around with Paul. Because when you were around with Paul, you were liable to get a whipping somewhere. Get put in prison and be beaten. And all the New Testament says about Aristarchus, really, is that he was with Paul. It doesn't say a lot more. But you'll see him there in Philemon 24, where's, where's where I first learned about him in 1977. We see here in Act seventy the method that Paul used to start the church the results of his ministry there, and the opposition to the ministry. Although he was only in Thessalonica for for less than a month, he touched on many of the great doctrines of the church, including that of the second coming of Christ, which is my favorite doctrine. It is noteworthy that during the time that he was there, that he records in Acts 17.6 that Paul and his friends were described as these that have turned the world upside down. They were quite alike believers in our contemporary world who seemed to constantly want to fit in with the world and not upset any upper cards. These missionaries, however, did the opposite. And wherever some serious, solid mission and present scripture across the world, the missionaries that I first met who was presenting the word in Barbados, they eventually got thrown out after a couple of years. One of the things that occasioned the writing of First Thessalonians was that the Thessalonians seemed to need instruction, exhortation, and comforting, which is the, something that is needed in all church. And so we find that the church at Thessalonica was ideal, First, 1, because it was ideal in their affiliations. They were ideal in their affiliations. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto and the church of the Thessalonians. They were ideal in their affiliations. The first thing we learn about this church is the Christian leaders known to the Thessalonians. And we are reminded that a good local church will affiliate only with those who believe in the fundamentals of the faith and the doctrine of Christ. It has taught clearly in 2nd John 9:10 that whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If they come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. We are clearly advised not to fellowship with such infidels, anybody who is not bringing the doctrine of Christ. And we must never forget, as we were probably taught when we were children, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three that evil commit, evil companionships corrupt good manners, morals. That's how the ASV puts it. And the, end, the new King James puts it, evil company corrupts good habits. And as another scripture would say, this is sound doctrine. That cannot be. Evil communications, what are we talked about. Evil communications uh, or bad companionship it refers to being in a relationship with any person or group of persons who can demoralize you, or influence your life negatively. It refers to being affiliated to any society or organization that would have a bad influence on your life, physically or spiritually, or both. It refers to generally being in contact with an ungodly thing or an ungodly person or an ungodly group of people. This is stuff that we were taught in our youth. I'm not trying to teach you anything new. We just revisit it. Ought to know. Because what we're thinking about, we're thinking about in an ideal church and the necessity for all members to be ideal congregants if you're gonna continue to have an ideal church since the Thessalonians were abided by some theological principles we can safely say that they were ideal affiliates the next thing we note in this verse is that they were ideal in their location they were ideal in their location it says that the church of the Thessalonians. was in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. A local church may have two locations. It may have a geographical location, which is neither here nor there, but it must have to be ideal spiritual location, the correct spiritual location. An ideal church will of necessity be in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why we no longer have vibrant, ideal churches around the world today in many places is simply because the churches are in the wrong spiritual location. They are in the pastor or in the world or somewhere else, rather than residing in the members of the Godhead. The church of Thessalonica was ideal because it was in God, so it was neither heathen or Jewish. It was in Christ, so it had life, because life is in the Son. It cannot be denied therefore, that the church at Thessalonica was ideal in this location. The church at Thessalonica was ideal in the salutation that they received, salutations of thanksgiving and petitions. One day, Daniel Burson came to me and said, I pray for you every eight days. Daniel Meadows also told me that. I pray for you every. Just think about that. Christian greetings and salutations to the Thessalonians. is the and the seasons that is given in prayer for the Thessalonians was what made that church ideal and what made the, the the church the the membership ideal. Whenever Paul thought of believers who with whom he had been associated, he expresses gratitude and he thanked God for them. And that's what these brothers were probably trying to communicate that they were praying for me every eight days. Paul wants believers to remember always that the Lord knoweth them. That are his second Timothy. So I wants believers to know in this salutation of Thanksgiving which he gave in verse two that whenever we remember believers with whom we have been associated in the past, we should always make some petition for them. I love to watch forensic movies on television. And once I was watching them one, and as I came to the end, I shouted, Be sure your sin will find you out. And I prayed for a girl called Margaret. Because when I met her in the school bus, when I was 15 years old, that's what she told me. I think that that was all that she knew. I think that that was the memory verse for that week in the Grace Bible Church. And she told me what she knew. And that's what Christians do. We tell people what we know from the Word of God. We can only say what we know. Just say what we know from the Word of God. And that is enough. It's through her that I came to know the Lord as my person, I left the vain worship in which I was enshrined and in which I was being pushed forward for the priesthood in the Anicon Church. I was an Anicon of the Anicon. skip the next slide. The Church at Thessalonica was ideal in their adoration and their exhibition of the three Christian graces. Verse three reads: Remembering the fault, ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Our walk revolves around our work of faith, our labor of love, and our patience of hope. We get back to patience of hope later. The Thessalonians' evidence, as seen in their conduct, as mentioned in verse 3, that they exhibited these three Christian graces together. They are mentioned, of course, as you know, in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and Paul continually remember remember them for their work produced by faith. Remember that our work is supposed to be produced by faith. Our work does not precede our faith; it follows or is the result of our faith. And the labor was prompted by love. We love him because he first loved us. For Work of love, labor of love is prompted by love for God because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts because Spirit put it there. We have no love for God really before then. And the endurance inspired by hope in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the contemporary world of chaos, we are comforted by the fact that Jesus is coming soon. The book is The Evidence of the Work of Faith. Your work of faith. Faith seems to be in opposition, the other side, or contrast to work, because faith produces works. We are taught in this signature verse of Romans four forty five that no, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt, or to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The passage is that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. As we move on towards the rapture of the church, our prayer is that the Lord will help us to be faithful and help us to grow in faith. That he will enlarge our capacity for faith and believing. God. But that's all, the only thing that we have for our hope. The association of work and faith is also taught in James 2, 14 to 26. So you must get that clear because a lot of people have a lot of confusion about this. Paul speaks about the root of faith. James speaks about the fruit of faith. There's no conflict or confusion. James reiterates the truth of Romans four forty five by pointing out that Abraham demonstrated that he believed God by mixing his faith with his work when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar in his final test, as recorded in Genesis twenty two. He was justified by this work, directed by his word, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. In Hebrews eleven, it says that Abraham concluded that if God was going to do all the things that he said. And bring up a whole nation out of this one child that he had. That he had to raise Isaac from the dead. That now that was a tremendous amount of faith to, to, to think about that. that. And that's what that is why he's declared to be righteous because he, he could. He that was a fantastic thing that he was able to do. Uh, and many Jews got in an argument with Jesus in in John chapter eight. Uh, Jesus said, "Abraham saw my day, and, and he rejoiced." Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. Abraham will somehow be able to see into the future and see that God would do what and that he would send sacrifice. God will provide himself the sacrifice. He didn't say that God will provide the sacrifice himself, which is also true. He provides the sacrifice himself. But the key there is the positioning of the words. God will provide himself as is clearly taught, also in Second Corinthians 5, uh, 21. He also, James also points to Rahab, who was also justified by works when she demonstrated her faith by receiving the messengers, as recorded in Joshua chapter 2, and also in Hebrews 11 and 31. So we see that the church of Thessalonica gave evidence that they were ideal in exhibiting this particular required grace. It's a required If we will be ideal believers, we have to have faith. We must imitate them if our local assembly will be ideal or continue to be ideal. There were the evidence, the labor of love. Love seems to, again, to be in opposition to labor because love produces labor. Labor doesn't produce love. You labor for your family and you labor in the church. You do labor because you love. The relationship between the Heavenly Father and the believer who is the Son of God is a love relationship, as we said before. We love him because he first loved us. This is how they demonstrated their adoration. We adore him because we tend to love, we tend to adore people that love us. That's how we think about our wives. They're special. They love us. Perhaps nobody else will love us like they do. (laughs) We all tend to love people, and not only that, he has promised that he will present us to the Father as faultless. I can't imagine anybody thinking that Victor Brooks is faultless. The evidence of the patience of hope. Hope has a lot to do with patience. It produces patience. I think, I think Peter also teaches this in I think it's one, first piece of chapter one. Hope seems, Hope produces patience. Their endurance and ours is inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically in the second coming. And so we can boldly say, without fear of contradiction, that the Church of Thessalonica was ideal in their adoration and exhibition of the three Christian graces, faith, love, and hope. It is our prayer that our church will continue so to engage. The Church of Thessalonica was ideal in their election. Not only were they ideal in their affiliation and in their uh, salutations they receive and in their location, especially the location, and in their exhibition of the three they were ideal in their election. In verse 4 we read, Knowing, brother, beloved, your election of God, the church at Thessalonica were cognizant of their election, and they were ideal. As are we. These believers were not called out by human enticement or by human eloquence, but by the Holy Spirit. They had been called out by and to a person, not an ideology or a religion or a denomination or primarily to a different mode of living only. Their faith was in a present living person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's still alive. He is very much alive. I'm sure that all of us spoke to him. And if he will not get confused with the commotion and the chaos around us, we will hear him speaking to us in a still small voice. Paul told the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2 13. We are bound to give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved. Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, that you would walk worthy of God who have called you unto his kingdom and glory. We are reminded that Jesus said in John 15:16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And in Ephesians 1 4, we are taught, He, the Father, have chosen us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of of the world that is mind-boggling. Don't even try to consider it. It hurts your head. Just believe it. Don't try to consider it. That before the foundation of the work, whatever that was, that God was thinking about Victor Brooks and Daniel Burson and, and Stephen and, and all the brethren here, the sisters here. And seeking to choose you. Don't don't it hurt your head. Don't try to think about it. The Thessalonians like all other believers, were chosen before man was created, or the universe formed. And so we can then safely say that the church, that's unlike a, was ideal in their election, just as we are. Election is God's side of salvation. God gives a legitimate and sincere offer of salvation to whosoever will come. Oh everyone that thirsts, life. what did we say at the beginning? If you want to have a relationship with God, you must do what? Believe that he exists and diligently seek him. Also, it is simply to believe God, accept his gracious invitation, and repent and confess our sins. That's all. That's not a lot of work. That's not a lot of work. I keep on saying these days that I never got so much for doing so little. Let us with the following scriptures note what God's choosing is. Romans 9 points so, out. The election of God is according to God's calling before one is born, and is thus not merited by one's works. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. You know, when I was 19, I went to university. You know what a university is really supposed to be? Universitas. That's what... University means. That's what universities were initially intended to teach universitas. One truth. God, you went to the first set of universities to learn Hebrew so you can read the Bible. And Latin, so you can read the Latin Vulgate, and Greek so you can read the Septuagint and Bible. That's why you went to universitas. We are not talking about the nonsense that pervades today. But I was lucky that I didn't get anybody telling me nonsense at Cave Hill. But I remember one day, a man came in, and at Cave Hill, you had to do a course called Use of English. If you don't pass that course, you can't get a degree from the university. And they had this module on logic and argument. And this man got up and he said, he said, the book of Romans in the Bible is the best piece of logic in all of English literature, I was 19. I was not saved long, very long, so I didn't understand what he said. But I put it in the in the back of my mind, and as I got to study the word, I understand. You cannot find anything more logical than what than a, than a Romans, and that verse is logical. I give you one piece. Chapter one, it says that the Gentiles sin. Chapter two, it says that the Jews sin. And since in that day you're either Jews or Gentiles, what is the logical conclusion in chapter three? Let's hear everybody. All I've seen. You want a more logical nap? Progressive, logical. Even Victor Brooks could understand that. Logical. I'm glad I didn't get any silly teachers in in university who were not teaching universitas and the one truth that universities already founded to teach in Ephesians. Paul taught that. The Father have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We had us already. The clock is always against us. you um, have a slip in the next couple of slides. Uh, you, you, it's surprising. Now you can read this thing very quickly. But it teaches another thing. But one thing about us, Christians were elected by God. We can't be unelected. Christians were chosen by God. We can't be unchosen. We were predestinated we cannot be unredacted. God said it. We believe it. That settles it. Don't waste time with false teachers. They were ideal in their evangelization. In verse five we read, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance or deep conviction. That's how the NIV puts it. As we know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And I love to tell the, you know, I, I collect, correct these papers from prisoners to send these things to be life way. And I find that sometimes the prisoners will say that, yeah, we are saved, but they, no, they're not able to say why they're saved. They seem to be unsure about their salvation. And I tell all of them, I want you to go and read First John Every day for two weeks. First John, every day for two weeks. You see, I'm still a doctor, right? So I'm still making prescriptions. And that's my prescription for assurance of salvation. Read First John every day for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, you ought to know whether you will save or not. Because that's what First John is about. Assurance of salvation. In the evangelization of Thessalonians, in verse 5 to 7, we see the method that was used. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. He taught the gospel. The claim is set out in 1 Corinthians 15, which basically says that Jesus died and he rose again. He died as promised in the scriptures and he was buried, which was proof that he died, because you don't bury people that didn't die. He died, he was buried. And he rose again, and what? He was seen. The fact that he was seen proved that he rose. You' seen up by five hundred people in one place once that 's gospel. Jesus died, and he rose again and because of that, if I should die, I will rise again that 's the method juice. He reasoned from the scriptures the The message brought was a gospel that 's what he said our gospel. It was not a hoot, a holler, a short story, and a poem. Now I said a, a hoot, a holler, and a short story, and a poem because I was taught. Preached by Americans, you see? American fellow come down from Bob Jones University, and he said, the, he, he, he definitely cried that. He said it every time. It was not about a hoot, a holler, a short story, and a poem. A lot of fellows up here do that, especially in the church where fellows have the type of melanin uh, composition in their skins, as I do. You understand know what I'm saying? <laughs> and other places, and other places too. It's a hoot, a holler, a short story, and a poem. No, you preach the word. We preach the word. I'm not trying to influence you by emotion or, or some logic or something. I'm trying to teach the word. That's what we're supposed to do. And if you present the word, it will reach hearts. I'm not going to finish my PowerPoint. I was telling Fred what the day got. I went running behind a girl. I went to please the girl. And that morning, it was only me and my father in the car. My brothers, along, decided that they would stay in the village and go to the Methodist church. And my father, we went up to the. Parish church and my mother didn't go that morning. And we were coming down and at the crossroads. You know, we said I met Jesus at the crossroads. At the crossroads, Church Hill, Oystens Hill, Gold Hill, Maxwell Hill. We have to stop. And I said to him, Daddy, I'm going to a little church tonight and get saved. And I was mocking. I was mocking. I was not serious, because I was an Anglican of the Anglicans, and I was not going to no little church to get any saved. No, that was not what I was going about. And I was telling Trent about what I liked to do, what I used to like to say. I loved even song, even songs is the And you may start with a hymn, which may be one of Isaac Watts or Charles Wesley's uh, paraphrase. And that was in scripture. I tell you scripture. And then there will be something called the gradual, which is another hymn. And it may very well be very good hymns. And there are no hymns like the hymns and hymns in ancient and modern. They nothing like them. And at Christchurch, we went where? At Christchurch. And A.I. Johnson, he had an idea of who Christ was because they had a lot of hymns up there about Christ. And then it was the first lesson. This is scripture. And the first lesson is followed by the singing of the mag. As pastors, we call it the mag. That's the magnificent, the magnificat, which is scripture. And then there's a second lesson, and the second lesson is followed by the singing of the nunc, that is the nunc demitis. Lord, thou, thing. you can sing it as a psalm, or you can sing it as an anthem. Boy, we, we were into that. And I, I forgot, of course, you have to point the psalm for the day, which is scripture. So, so far, it's scripture, 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 and then we will recite the Lord's Prayer. I mean the model prayer from Matthew that is scripture and then we will say the Apostles Creed. You all read the Apostles Creed? Every statement in the Apostles Creed is scriptural. Everyone. That's what the early church believe. And of course in the morning we sang because of Christ's church. The service was a concert. concert. We sang the Nicene Creed and the Nicene Creed is scripture because the fight are an Athanasius, Arius, sorry. Athanasius took the fellows to Nicaea to that conference because they were disputing the doctrine of the humanity of Christ and they settled it at Nicaea with the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is scriptural. So here you are around all of the scripture and then after that, there will be a hymn followed by the boar But guy i guy's a boar chair there. I still listen to some of them services. I listen for the Music. But when you get to the so-called sermon, you never get sufficient Bible to kill a cockroach. If the Bible that you will get in one of them sermons, if Bible was used to kill cockroaches, none of that could kill one single cockroach. And only one time in my life, they had a man, they brought a man down to Barbados from England called Ingamel, so never forget him. He came from the evangelical wing of the Anakin Church in England, and they they brought him up for so-called length, this type of the year, and that man used to had me in, 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 in trouble because the man, I realized that that was what the man was talking. The man was talking about scripture. He was teaching Bible, but he didn't last in Barbados very long. to get rid of him. So I went to please. I mean, she was kind enough to come to my church. You see, the, the, this was the thing that he, the, the missionary set up. You know, he said, "You, you got to go to the boys' church, man. You go to the boys' church a couple of nights, you see, and he got then you got to come to ours." He came and I went. And I heard the gospel preach for the first time. And it was logical. It made sense. There was only one conclusion to come to. There was only one decision to make. And another lad, my friends, boy, he's got to go out the missionaries now. You think, you think that it was done? That missionary work on that girl. And that girl confused my soul because I didn't, I didn't continue to her, come into her church. Okay? So summer came. And I went to Sunday school. Mm. Every man Jack, in church had textbook. So what? These people are serious. Remember, I'm an academic. I just finished my O-levels. And everybody had textbooks. They, 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 they're serious. These said, these people are serious. Just think about it. These people are serious. And I didn't get back to Church quite search, quite search yet since then. Except for one time, there was a nurse who worked with me. Her husband was the rector, and she invited me to hear a concert the choir was doing hands just Messiah. I haven't been back to Christchurch after that first Sunday I went to Sunday school. You know why I love missionaries? That missionary, should work on that girl. The girl went to talk to me for six months. But I realized not that, that missionary working for that girl. But That's why I realized they, they they had decided they wanted to find out if I was serious or not. But when they were satisfied that I was serious, the girl spoke to me again. That's why I love missionaries. I still talk to that missionary today. She's in her 80s now. Oh, we love her. We love her. She came into our homes, and especially in the case of the, the girls and the women. Every week, once a week, she went to homes so and she taught the girls and the women the scriptures. She took my mother with her to Bible club. And my mother, who's 90 now, still talks about the scriptures that she learned in Bible Club. We had 18 Bible clubs at once because she taught all of us boys and girls who came to Christ. He took us before and taught us and taught us. That's why I love missionary. They presented, he presented the word of God. You don't have finished PowerPoint. I'm sorry. Because reading, writing, spending hours making lovely PowerPoints is easy. Reading is like easy. It takes half hour to read this thing. It takes time to teach it. Because when you come to teach, the wind gets into your sails. And that's what you hope. That the Holy Spirit will take over the message. Now, as we continue here. To teach the word of God only, what are we supposed to do? Preach the word in season and out of season. That's what we were taught. And then they invited you to preach at the, the Grace Bible Church. The fathers will tell you, let it rip. You know, I went to Antigua, and one of the boys who, he was one of our boys from Barbados, he was an Antigua missionary, and he invited me to speak at this church. I said, what well, you want me to talk about, David? He said, talk about anything. Just let it rip let it rip. That means you go and you preach the word, season and all season. And if you do that, just as we may have been evangelized different places wherever we were, by the word, we will continue to have Heavenly Father, who has given us the Holy Scripture for all learning. Grant that we may read, mark, learn, and inwardly, and that we will embrace the truths that you have given to us by patience and hope in your coming. We thank you for your presence today, Lord, and your enablement. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts and who guides us in all truth. He is our resident teacher, as clearly taught in 1 John 2, 20 and 27. And we thank you for his enablement today. We thank you for our Savior because it is in his death, because of his death, that we have the wonderful salvation that we all have. We thank you for the saints, the persons that you have delivered from wrath because in your precious. they all receive our thanks as we offer it today. From very grateful hearts. Help us to be ideal congregants. Help us to continue to be an ideal church. For his name's sake, amen.